Robinson Crusoe, Part 6. This recording, copyright Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. Narrated by Alessandro Chima. A Candlelight Stories audio production. The Life and Strange Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York, Mariner by Daniel Defoe With these thoughts I resolved to remove my tent from the place where it stood, which was just under the hanging precipice of the hill, and which, if it should be shaken again, would certainly fall upon my tent. And I spent the next two days, being the 19th and 20th of April, in contriving where and how to remove my habitation. The fear of being swallowed up alive made me that I never slept in quiet, and yet the apprehension of lying abroad without any fence was almost equal to it. But still, when I looked about and saw how everything was put in order, how pleasantly concealed I was, and how safe from danger, it made me very loath to move. In the meantime, it occurred to me that it would require a vast deal of time for me to do this, and that I must be contented to run the venture where I was, till I had formed a camp for myself, and had secured it so as to remove to it. So with this resolution I composed myself for a time, and resolved that I would go to work with all speed to build me a wall with piles and cables, in a circle as before, and set my tent up in it when it was finished, but that I would venture to stay where I was till it was finished, and fit to remove to. This was the 21st. April 22. The next morning I began to consider of means to put this resolve in execution but I was at a great loss about my tools. I had three large axes and abundance of hatchets, for we carried the hatchets for traffic with the Indians, but with much chopping and cutting knotty hard wood, they were all full of notches and dull, and though I had a grindstone, I could not turn it and grind my tools too. This cost me as much thought as a statesman would have bestowed upon a grand point of politics or a judge upon the life and death of a man. At length I contrived a wheel with a string to turn it with my foot that I might have both my hands at liberty. I had never seen any such thing in England, or at least not to take notice how it was done, though since I have observed it is very common there. Besides that, my grindstone was very large and heavy. This machine cost me a full week's work to bring it to perfection. April 28, 29. These two whole days I took up in grinding my tools, my machine for turning my grindstone performing very well. April 30. Having perceived my bread had been low a great while, now I took a survey of it and reduced myself to one biscuit cake a day, which made my heart very heavy. May 1. In the morning, looking towards the seaside, the tide being low, I saw something lie on the shore, bigger than ordinary, and it looked like a cask. When I came to it, I found a small barrel and two or three pieces of the wreck of the ship, which were driven on shore by the late hurricane and looking towards the wreck itself, I thought it seemed to lie higher out of the water than it used to do. I examined the barrel which was driven on shore, and soon found it was a barrel of gunpowder, but it had taken water, and the powder was caked as hard as a stone. However, I rolled it farther on shore for the present, and went on upon the sands as near as I could to the wreck of the ship to look for more. When I came down to the ship, I found it strangely removed, the forecastle, which lay before, buried in sand, was heaved up at least six feet, and the stern, which was broken to pieces and parted from the rest by the force of the sea, soon after I had left rummaging her, was tossed, as it were, up, 
and cast on one side, and the sand was thrown so high on that side next her stern, that whereas there was a great place of water before, so that I could not come within a quarter of a mile of the wreck without swimming, I could now walk quite up to her when the tide was out. I was surprised with this at first, but soon concluded that it must be done by the earthquake, and as by this violence the ship was more broken open than formerly, so many things came daily on shore, which the sea had loosened, and which the winds and water rolled by degrees to the land. This wholly diverted my thoughts from the design of removing my habitation, and I busied myself mightily that day especially, in searching whether I could make any way into the ship, but I found nothing was to be expected of that kind, for that all the inside of the ship was choked up with sand. However, as I had learnt not to despair of anything, I resolved to pull everything to pieces that I could get of the ship, concluding that everything I could get from her would be of some use or other to me. May 3. I began with my saw, and cut a piece of a beam through, which I thought held some of the upper part or quarter-deck together, and when I had cut it through, I cleared away the sand as best I could from the side which lay highest, but the tide coming in I was obliged to give over for that time. May 4. I went a-fishing, but caught not one fish that I durst eat of, till I was weary of my sport. When just going to leave off, I caught a young dolphin. I had made me a long line of some rope-yarn, but I had no hooks, yet I frequently caught fish enough, as much as I cared to eat, all which I dried in the sun and ate them dry. May 5. Worked on the wreck, cut another beam asunder, and brought three great fir planks off from the decks, which I tied together and made swim on shore when the tide of flood came on. May 6. Worked on the wreck, got several iron bolts out of her and other pieces of ironwork, worked very hard, and came home very much tired and had thoughts of giving it over. May 7. Went to the wreck again, but with an intent not to work, but found the weight of the wreck had broke itself down, the beams being cut that several pieces of the ship seemed to lie loose, and the inside of the hold lay so open that I could see into it, but almost full of water and sand. May 8. Went to the wreck and carried an iron crow to wrench up the deck, which lay now quite clear of the water or sand. I wrenched open two planks and brought them on shore also with the tide. I left the iron crow in the wreck for next day. May 9. Went to the wreck and with the crow made way into the body of the wreck, and felt several casks, and loosened them with the crow, but could not break them up. I felt also the roll of English lead, and could stir it, but it was too heavy to remove. May 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Went every day to the wreck, and got a great many pieces of timber and boards, or plank, and two or three hundred weight of iron. May 15. I carried two hatchets, to try if I could not cut a piece off the roll of lead by placing the edge of one hatchet, and driving it with the other but as it lay about a foot and a half in the water, I could not make any blow to drive the hatchet. May 16. It had blowed hard in the night, and the wreck appeared more broken by the force of the water, but I stayed so long in the woods to get pigeons for food that the tide prevented me going to the wreck that day. May 17. I saw some pieces of the wreck blown on shore, at a great distance, near two miles off me, but resolved to see what they were, and found it was a piece of the head, but too heavy for me to bring away. May 24. Every day, to this day, I worked on the wreck, and with hard labor, I loosened some things so much with the crow, that the first blowing tide several casks floated out, and two of the seamen's chests. But the wind blowing from the shore, nothing came to land that day but pieces of timber and a hogshead, which had some Brazil pork in it, 
but the salt water and sand had spoiled it. I continued this work every day to the 15th of June, except the time necessary to get food, which I always appointed during this part of my employment to be when the tide was up, that I might be ready when it was ebbed out, and by this time I had gotten timber and plank and ironwork enough to have built a good boat, if I had known how, and also I got it several times and in several pieces near a hundred weight of the sheet lead. June 16. Going down to the seaside, I found a large tortoise or turtle. This was the first I had seen, which it seems was only my misfortune, not any defect of the place or scarcity, for had I happened to be on the other side of the island, I might have had hundreds of them every day, as I found afterwards, but perhaps had paid dear enough for them. June 17. I spent in cooking the turtle. I found in her threescore eggs, and her flesh was to me at that time the most savory and pleasant that ever I tasted in my life, having had no flesh but of goats and fowls since I landed on this horrid place. June 18. Rained all day, and I stayed within. I thought at this time the rain felt cold, and I was something chilly, which I knew was not usual in that latitude. June 19. Very ill and shivering as if the weather had been cold. June 20. No rest all night, violent pains in my head, and feverish. June 21. Very ill, frighted almost to death with the apprehensions of my sad condition, to be sick and no help. Prayed to God for the first time since the storm off Hull, but scarce knew what I said or why, my thoughts being all confused. June 22. A little better, but under dreadful apprehension of sickness. June 23, very bad again, cold and shivering, and then a violent headache. June 24, much better. June 25, an ague, very violent. The fit held me seven hours, cold, fit, and hot, with faint sweats after it. June 26, better, and having no victuals to eat, took my gun but found myself very weak. However, I killed a she-goat, and with much difficulty got it home, and broiled some of it, and ate. I would fain have stewed it and made some broth, but had no pot. June 27. The ague again so violent that I lay abed all day and neither ate nor drank. I was ready to perish for thirst, but so weak I had not strength to stand up or to get myself any water to drink. Prayed to God again, but was light-headed, and when I was not, I was so ignorant that I knew not what to say. Only I lay and cried, Lord, look upon me, Lord, pity me, Lord, have mercy upon me. I suppose I did nothing else for two or three hours. Till the fit wearing off, I fell asleep, and did not wake till far in the night. When I waked, I found myself much refreshed, but weak and exceeding thirsty. However, as I had no water in my whole habitation, I was forced to lie till morning and went to sleep again. In this second sleep, I had this terrible dream. I thought that I was sitting on the ground on the outside of my wall, where I sat when the storm blew after the earthquake, and that I saw a man descend from a great black cloud in a bright flame of fire and a light upon the ground. He was all over as bright as a flame, so that I could but just bear to look towards him. His countenance was most inexpressibly dreadful, impossible for words to describe. When he stepped upon the ground with his feet, I thought the earth trembled, just as it had done before in the earthquake, and all the air looked to my apprehension as if it had been filled with flashes of fire. He was no sooner landed upon the earth, but he moved forward toward me and with a long spear or a weapon in his hand to kill me. And when he came to a rising ground, at some distance he spoke to me, or I heard a voice so terrible that it is impossible to express the terror of it. All that I can say I understood was this. Seeing all these things, 
have not brought thee to repentance. Now thou shalt die. At which words I thought he lifted up the spear that was in his hand to kill me. No one that shall ever read this account will expect that I should be able to describe the horrors of my soul at this terrible vision. I mean, that even while it was a dream, I even dreamed of those horrors, nor is it any more possible to describe the impression that remained upon my mind when I awaked and found it was but a dream. June 28. Having been somewhat refreshed with the sleep I had had, and the fit being entirely off, I got up. And though the fright and terror of my dream was very great, yet I considered that the fit of the ague would return again next day, and now was my time to get something to refresh and support myself when I should be ill. And the first thing I did, I filled a large square case bottle with water and set it upon my table in reach of my bed, and to take off the chill or aguish disposition of the water, I put about a quarter of a pint of rum into it and mixed them together. Then I got me a piece of goat's flesh and broiled it on the coals but could eat very little. I walked about, but was very weak, and withal very sad and heavy-hearted, under a sense of my miserable condition, dreading the return of my distemper the next day. At night I made my supper of three of the turtle's eggs, which I roasted in the ashes and ate, as we call it, in the shell. And this was the first bit of meat I had ever asked God's blessing to, even as I could remember in my whole life. After I had eaten, I tried to walk, but found myself so weak that I could hardly carry the gun, for I never went out without that. So I went but a little way, and sat down upon the ground, looking out upon the sea, which was just before me, and very calm and smooth. I rose up pensive and sad, walked back to my retreat, and went up over my wall as if I had been going to bed. But my thoughts were sadly disturbed, and I had no inclination to sleep, so I sat down in my chair and lighted my lamp, for it began to be dark. Now, as the apprehension of the return of my distemper terrified me very much, it occurred to my thought that the Brazilians take no physic but their tobacco for almost all distempers, and I had a piece of a roll of tobacco in one of the chests, which was quite cured, and some also that was green and not quite cured. I went, directed by heaven, no doubt, for in this chest I found a cure both for soul and body. I opened the chest and found what I was looking for, namely the tobacco. And as the few books I had saved lay there too, I took out one of the Bibles, which I mentioned before, and which to this time I had not found leisure or so much as inclination to look into. I say I took it out, and brought both that and the tobacco with me to the table. What use to make of the tobacco I knew not, as to my distemper, or whether it was good for it or no. But I tried several experiments with it, as if I resolved it should hit one way or other. I first took a piece of a leaf, and chewed it in my mouth which indeed at first almost stupefied my brain, the tobacco being green and strong, and that I had not been used to it. Then I took some, and steeped it an hour or two in some rum, and resolved to take a dose of it when I lay down. And lastly, I burnt some upon a pan of coals, and held my nose close over the smoke of it as long as I could bear it, and I held almost to suffocation. In the interval of this operation I took up the Bible and began to read, but my head was too much disturbed with the tobacco to bear reading, at least at that time. Only having opened the book casually, the first words that occurred to me were these, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. The words were very apt to my case, and made some impression upon my thoughts at the time of reading them, though not so much as they did afterwards. 
for as for being delivered, the word had no sound, as I may say, to me. The thing was so remote, so impossible in my apprehension of things, that I began to say, as the children of Israel did when they were promised flesh to eat, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? So I began to say, Can God himself deliver me from this place? And as it was not for many years that any hope appeared, this prevailed very often upon my thoughts. But, however, the words made a very great impression upon me, and I mused upon them very often. It grew now late, and the tobacco had, as I said, dozed my head so much that I inclined to sleep. So I left my lamp burning in the cave, lest I should want anything in the night, and went to bed. But before I lay down, I did what I never had done in all my life. I kneeled down and prayed to God to fulfill the promise to me, that if I called upon him in the day of trouble, he would deliver me. After my broken and imperfect prayer was over, I drank the rum in which I had steeped the tobacco, which was so strong and rank of the tobacco that indeed I could scarce get it down. Immediately upon this I went to bed, and found presently it flew up into my head violently, but I fell into a sound sleep, and waked no more, till noon the next day. Nay, to this hour I am partly of the opinion that I slept all the next day and night, until almost three the day after, for otherwise I knew not how I should lose a day out of my reckoning in the days of the week, as it appeared some years after I had done. For if I had lost it by crossing and recrossing the line, I should have lost more than one day, but certainly I lost a day in my account, and never knew which way. Be that, however, one way or the other, when I waked, I found myself exceedingly refreshed, and my spirits lively and cheerful. When I got up, I was stronger than I was the day before, and my stomach better, for I was hungry, and, in short, I had no fit the next day, but continued much altered for the better. This was the twenty-ninth. The thirtieth was my well day, of course, and I went abroad with my gun, but did not care to travel too far. I killed a sea-fowl or two, something like a brand goose, and brought them home, but was not very forward to eat them. So I ate some more of the turtle's eggs, which were very good. This evening I renewed the medicine, which I had supposed did me good the day before, namely the tobacco steeped in rum, only I did not take so much as before, nor did I chew any of the leaf or hold my head over the smoke. However, I was not so well the next day, which was the first of July, as I hoped I should have been, for I had a little spice of the cold fit, but it was not much. July 2. I renewed the medicine all the three ways, and dosed myself with it at first, and doubled the quantity which I drank. July 3. I missed the fit for good and all, though I did not recover my full strength for some weeks after. While I was thus gathering strength, my thoughts run exceedingly upon the scripture, I will deliver thee. And the impossibility of my deliverance lay much upon my mind, in bar of my ever expecting it. But as I was discouraging myself with such thoughts, it occurred to my mind that I poured so much on my deliverance from the main affliction that I disregarded the deliverance I had received. And I was, as it were, made to ask myself such questions as these, namely, Have I not been delivered, and wonderfully too, from sickness? From the most distressed condition that could be, and that was so frightful to me? And what notice had I taken of it? Had I done my part? God had delivered me but I had not glorified him. This is to say, I had not owned and been thankful for that as a deliverance, and how could I expect greater deliverance? This touched my heart very much, and immediately I kneeled down and gave God thanks aloud for my recovery from my sickness. July 4. 
In the morning, I took the Bible, and beginning at the New Testament, I began seriously to read it, and imposed upon myself to read a while every morning and every night, not tying myself to the number of chapters, but as long as my thoughts should engage me. It was not long after I set seriously to this work, but I found my heart more deeply and sincerely affected with the wickedness of my past life. Now I began to construe the words mentioned above. Call on me, and I will deliver thee in a different sense from what I had ever done before. For then I had no notion of anything being called deliverance, but my being delivered from the captivity I was in. For though I was indeed at large in the place, yet the island was certainly a prison to me, and that in the worst sense in the world. But now I learned to take it in another sense. Now I looked back upon my past life with such horror, and my sins appeared so dreadful that my soul sought nothing of God but deliverance from the load of guilt that bore down all my comfort. As for my solitary life, it was nothing. I did not so much as pray to be delivered from it, or think of it. It was all of no consideration in comparison of this. And I add this part here, to hint to whoever shall read it, that whenever they come to a true sense of things, they will find deliverance from sin, a much greater blessing than deliverance from affliction. But leaving this part, I return to my journal. My condition began now to be, though not less miserable as to my way of living, yet much easier to my mind, and my thoughts being directed by a constant reading the Scripture and praying to God to things of a higher nature, and I had a great deal of comfort within, which till now I knew nothing of. Also, as my health and strength returned, I bestirred myself to furnish myself with everything that I wanted, and to make my way of living as regular as I could, from the 4th of July to the 14th. I was chiefly employed in walking about with my gun in my hand, a little and a little at a time, as a man that was gathering up his strength after a fit of sickness, for it is hardly to be imagined how low I was, and to what weakness I was reduced. The application which I made use of was perfectly new, and perhaps what had never cured an ague before. Neither can I recommend it to any one to practice by this experiment, and though it did carry off the fit, yet it rather contributed to weaken me for I had frequent convulsions in my nerves and limbs for some time. I learnt from it also this, in particular, that being abroad in the rainy season was the most pernicious thing to my health that could be, especially in those rains which came attended with storms and hurricanes of wind. For as the rain which came in the dry season was always most accompanied with such storms, so I found this rain was much more dangerous than the rain which fell in September and October. I had been now in this unhappy island above ten months. All possibility of deliverance from this condition seemed to be entirely taken from me, and I firmly believe that no human shape had ever set foot upon that place. Having now secured my habitation, as I thought, fully to my mind, I had a great desire to make a more perfect discovery of the island, and to see what other productions I might find, which I yet knew nothing of. It was on the 15th of July that I began to take a more particular survey of the island itself. I went up the creek first, where, as I hinted, I brought my rafts on shore. I found, after I came about two miles up, that the tide did not flow any higher, and that it was no more than a little brook of running water, and very fresh and good. But this being the dry season, there was hardly any water in some parts of it, at least not enough to run in any stream, so as it could be perceived." On the banks of this brook I found many pleasant savannas, or meadows, plain, smooth, and covered with grass, and on the rising parts of them next to the higher grounds, where the water, as it might be supposed, never overflowed, I found a great deal of tobacco, green, and growing to a great and a very strong stalk. 
There were diverse other plants which I had no notion of or understanding about, and might perhaps have virtues of their own which I could not find out. I searched for the cassava root, which the Indians, in all that climate, make their bread of, but I could not find none. I saw large plants of aloes, but did not then understand them. I saw several sugar canes, but wild and for want of cultivation imperfect. I contented myself with these discoveries for this time, and came back musing with myself what course I might take to know the virtue and goodness of any of the fruits or plants which I should discover, but could bring it to no conclusion. For, in short, I had made so little observation while I was in the Brazils that I knew little of the plants of the field, at least very little that might serve me to any purpose now in my distress. The next day, the 16th, I went up the same way again, and, after going something farther than I had done the day before, I found the brook and the savannas began to cease, and the country became more woody than before. In this part I found different fruits, and particularly I found melons upon the ground in great abundance, and grapes upon the trees. The vines had spread indeed over the trees, and the clusters of grapes were just now in their prime, very ripe and rich. This was a surprising discovery, and I was exceedingly glad of them. But I was warned, by my experience, to eat sparingly of them, remembering that, when I was ashore in Barbary, the eating of grapes killed several of our Englishmen, who were slaves there, by throwing them into fluxes and fevers. But I found an excellent use for these grapes, and that was to cure, or dry them in the sun, and keep them as dried grapes or raisins are kept, which I thought would be, as indeed they were, as wholesome and as agreeable to eat when no grapes might be had. I spent all that evening there, and went not back to my habitation, which, by the way, was the first night, as I might say, I had lain from home. In the night I took my first contrivance, and got up into a tree, where I slept well, and the next morning proceeded upon my discovery, traveling near four miles, as I might judge by the length of the valley, keeping still due north, with a ridge of hills on the south and north side of me. At the end of this march I came to an opening, where the country seemed to descend to the west, and a little spring of fresh water which issued out of the side of the hill by me ran the other way, that is, due east, and the country appeared so fresh, so green, so flourishing, everything being in a constant verdure or flourishing of spring, that it looked like a planted garden. I descended a little on the side of that delicious valley, surveying it with a secret kind of pleasure, though mixed with other afflicting thoughts, to think that this was all my own, that I was king and lord of all this country indefeasibly, and had a right of possession, and if I could convey it, I might have it in inheritance as completely as any lord of a manor in England. I saw here abundance of cocoa trees, orange and lemon and citron trees, but all wild and few bearing any fruit, at least not then. However, the green limes that I gathered were not only pleasant to eat, but very wholesome, and I mixed their juice afterwards with water, which made it very wholesome and very cool and refreshing. I found now I had business enough to gather and carry home, and resolved to lay up a store as well of grapes as limes and lemons, to furnish myself for the wet season, which I knew was approaching. In order to do this, I gathered a heap of grapes in one place, and a lesser heap in another place, and a great parcel of limes and lemons in another place, and taking a few of each with me, I traveled homeward, and resolved to come again and bring a bag or sack, or what I could make, to carry the rest home. Accordingly, having spent three days in this journey, I came home, so I must now call my tent and my cave, but before I got thither the grapes were spoiled. 
the richness of the fruit and the weight of the juice, having broken them and bruised them, they were good for little or nothing. As to the limes, they were good, but I could bring but a few. The next day, being the nineteenth, I went back, having made me two small bags to bring home my harvest. But I was surprised when, coming to my heap of grapes, which were so rich and fine when I gathered them, I found them all spread abroad, trod to pieces and dragged about, some here, some there, and abundance eaten and devoured. By this I concluded there were some wild creatures thereabouts which had done this, but what they were I knew not. However, as I found there was no laying them up on heaps, and no carrying them away in a sack, but that one way they would be destroyed and the other way they would be crushed with their own weight, I took another course, for I gathered a large quantity of the grapes, and hung them upon the outbranches of the trees, that they might cure and dry in the sun, and as for the limes and lemons, I carried as many back as I could well stand under. When I came home from this journey, I contemplated with great pleasure on the fruitfulness of that valley, and the pleasantness of the situation, the security from storms on that side of the water and the wood, and concluded that I had pitched upon a place to fix my abode, which was by far the worst part in the country. Upon the whole, I began to consider of removing my habitation and to look out for a place equally safe as where I now was situated, if possible, in that pleasant and fruitful part of the island. A Candlelight Stories audio production. 